This is Halftime Adjustments on WPXI Now. Welcome to Halftime Adjustments. We are almost officially over the hump. I'm Albie Oxenrider with our buddy and our partner from DKPittsburghSports.com. It's Chris Carter on the other end. And Chris, got some big news today uh, with the sudden resignation of of Jim Rutherford, the Penguins GM. Uh, Your initial thoughts on this as it broke this afternoon. I was shocked and awed. I mean, it just, it comes out of, it comes out of nowhere. Uh, And for Jim Rutherford, for the two cups that he brought to this franchise and the moves that he made, uh, you know, to, to amplify, you know, it's, it's crazy, Albie. Everyone's always going to remember, you know, Crosby, Malkin, Flurry, Latang, the big names, but, what Rutherford did was he went and got the guys that made the HBK. Like, you know, so he got Hornquist, he got Castle, you know, and then the guys that came up through the Penguin system added to them. And, and that was what helped got those back-to-back cups in, in, in some legendary years for this franchise. And, you know, as the Penguins are trying to figure things out and they had that tough loss on Tuesday night, and now this happens, it, it, this is, this is a bombshell. Like, you know, what, what is this for? He lists, he cites personal reasons, but you have to be asking yourself what, you know, you, you hope that it's nothing for health reasons, but what could it be that would make him have to resign from an important time of what, of how this Penguins try to finish out the years of Crosby and Malkin? Yeah. And you don't want to read too much into the personal reasons. I mean, right. family reasons, health reasons, he's 71 years old um, and, and he's done He's he's done as much as anybody could do. He won a cup uh, before coming to Pittsburgh, won two cups here. He's a Hockey Hall of Famer in 2019. Uh, but, you know, you brought up a great point. He, he put together these teams that won back-to-back cups, general manager with, with the Penguins since 2014, 2015. So he put together these back-to-back cups, um, which which in any era is difficult to do. And I think – um, Jim Rutherford also already had a ton of respect before he did that. Um, and then, of course, um, after those cups, as you will have often after championships, uh, sometimes you have to tweak and you lose players and you have mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, retool in, in certain areas. Um, I, I know that the last year has been difficult for everybody because of the situation in the NHL and, and certainly in the Penguins situation. They're, they're looking right now at a, a new division that's very competitive in terms of what they're facing hockey-wise, um, and they have a lot of young players and, and a lot of injuries as well as they try to, uh, you know, formulate this team into what they hope will be able to compete in the East Division. Tough to read into it. Uh, when, when you retire or resign for personal reasons, um, that's certainly something we have to respect. But I think the fact that it happened so suddenly um, and really took everybody by surprise is really what strikes me. And Patrick Alvin, uh, the assistant general manager, is the new interim GM, um, and he'll be consulting, as the release said today from the Penguins, with with uh, Mario Lemieux in decisions uh, at least until they find a permanent general manager. Right, Albie. And these are such huge shoes to fill because, and like we said, if you remember what it was like before Jim Rutherford got here, and not that the Penguins were start, you know, didn't didn't have any accomplishments. But in the early 2010s, you know, Penguins fans were so frustrated because they had the star power. They and Ray Shear was was making the moves to, to to bring guys in, but they just weren't working out. And fans were frustrated. Dan Bilsman was gone. Then Shear was gone. And then Rutherford comes in, and he made and he identified the talent and the and the the additions to the team that was able to get them over the hump. And again, for two straight years, was you know created a lot of magic for this team. That's that that to me is 
what helps you know identify like you know like he said he was a hall of famer and he and people had he had a ton of respect before he got to the penguins but this put him over the top um you know for that guy you know for him to have found that magic once you know, a lot of fans were hoping that maybe he was going to make it happen again in these final years for this to happen right now and 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 again you know at where, where the penguins their top six have have been struggling to find consistency they've had some really great spurts in these early games but ultimately there's you're still looking for to, to see more complete games from these penguins um uh, for this to happen right now it's gonna leave your head spinning like where what's happening next what's going you know what's going on where does the team even go from here yeah, and I, I think, you know, you mentioned Ray Shiro. I think in the case of Ray Shiro, the, you know, they win the Cup in 09, and then they 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 hit some tough times there. Of course, uh, Sidney Crosby also had a big injury and missed missed a great deal of time over a couple seasons. Very true. Um, but but you're right. They, they found difficulties on the ice, and, and eventually Shiro uh, uh, exited. And, and, hey, listen, this, this might be – an altogether different situation. And again, out of respect for personal reasons, it's, it's difficult uh, to, to speculate. I do think uh, the fact that it happened so suddenly and in the middle of a developing season, we really right. don't know how, you know, this, this is going to work out for the Penguins. It's very early in the, even though it's a shortened season, it's very early in the season. So that tells me this was more about Jim Rutherford making a decision based on, uh, whatever his personal reasons are rather than something hockey related. Absolutely. Albie. And, and you're right. It's, it's, I think it's irresponsible for us to speculate what could the actual, you know, and look for conspiracy theories in this situation, but it is safe to say that a GM wouldn't come into a season. If, if there was talk about, you know, getting rid of getting rid of them to start a season, you know, and, uh, and a loss like this, how many times have the Penguins lost disappointing games over the years where you're thinking like, wow, that was that was bad. Like and when you see a three on a three on zero situation happen, like what happened Tuesday night. Uh, but, you know, again, you're right. I don't think this has anything to do with how this season has progressed. There's something going on. We just we hope that it's you know, that, that, that he's OK, that his family's OK and that, you know, maybe there's something else involved here and that he, he's just going he's going into retirement, uh, you know, in in you know, in good spirits and just to take care of himself. But certainly, yeah, there's a, this is this is a cause for alarm, not just not just for the Penguins, but the fans feel like, OK, how do you, you know, where does this team go from here? Because there's still goalie questions. There's still top six questions, you know, and there's still questions about like, you know, can can there be a, could there be a trade this year that opens things up for this team and gets them, you know, it gets everyone going again. Um, you know, and there's questions about Malkin with how he's played. Uh, there's, there's a, that's, a, that's a lot of issues to have to concern. And now for to not have the GM that got you two cups, uh, that's, a, that's a lot of weight on your shoulders. All right. We wish Jim Rutherford well. And, uh, yeah, this was big news uh, coming out of the Penguins this afternoon. Coming up, much more to talk about as we help you get over the hump. Um, it's Albie Oxenrider with Chris Carter. And we're back right after this on WPXI Now. Welcome back to WPXI Now and Halftime Adjustments. I'm Albie Oxenrider with Chris Carter, and now we're going to shift the focus to football and the Steelers. The Steelers, well, their offseason is well underway now, and uh, they made it official the other day uh, that Matt Canada has been promoted to offensive coordinator. Um, we could talk about everything it means, uh, but, but let's just start off by saying and see if you agree with this, Chris, the fact that they promoted Matt Canada 
rather than bring someone in from the outside is at least an indication that the Steelers are prepared to uh, not change things up too much and that might be a, a good indication that Ben Roethlisberger uh, will be back and my feeling is Ben Roethlisberger wants to be back I think this is really going to be a decision that the Steelers will have to make and see where they want to go but I think this is a good sign starting with that aspect of it that Ben uh, that the Steelers would like to see Ben back simply because uh, they have to figure things out at quarterback be- before they can move forward can they not no, I agree. Ben Roethlisberger is the first decision you have to you have to lock down in these conversations about how to reshape the Steelers for 2021. Because if you're going with someone else, then you need to reshape the you know how the offense works. But if you're bringing him back, you still need to reshape the offense to get the ground game, uh, make the ground game a factor again. And I, I actually think Albie that Matt Canada is more of a shakeup than people are willing to admit, simply because the way that he he would probably try to run this offense, the wrinkles that he added, and I wrote about this on DKPittsburghSports.com in my Carter's classroom column. When you look at that, you see more motions. You see running the running game opening up because of in unconventional ways that people don't usually use in the NFL. That's where I think Matt Canada comes from in, in his perspective. Also, people don't realize he was a, cord, or a, a quarterback coach for one season in the NFL. He had spent in his entire career bouncing from college to college, including his time at Pitt, um, you're bouncing around and figuring things out. This is his first stint in the NFL. This is going to be the first real coordinator that's under under Mike Tomlin, who's young and looking to make their first impression really in the uh, in the NFL. You know, Keith Butler, the defensive coordinator, he's he he was uh, the the linebackers coach and disciple under Dick LeBeau for quite some time. Dick LeBeau, you know, the legendary Hall of Fame defensive coordinator. You know, Todd Haley was a head coach before he got here. Randy Feetner had been with the team since 2004. Bruce Arians had a, had a history with the team. This is the first guy that's like. Like, hey, he's this is his real first shot at, at how things are going going to work and, and quickly. So for me, I think there's going to be a little bit of a shaking up. I do think that Ben Roethlisberger stays because he wants to get paid and the Steelers. They're looking around. I, I, I get that people want to trade for Deshaun Watson or trade for Aaron Rodgers or trade for Matt Stafford or go and trade up and get a quarterback. But right now, this is still a developing young core of Steelers that they've got with T.J. Watt still in his mid-20s. Um, you still got – Young players like Kevin Dotson, who you expect to step up next year. Chase Claypool had 13 touchdowns, uh, including the playoffs in this this season. Devin Bush, Minka Fitzpatrick, all these guys are guys that you can build and make a nucleus out of. And with the needs that this team has, offensive line, running back, depth at cornerback, depth at inside linebacker, those are draft pick needs. And if you start giving up those draft picks to get a quarterback that, you know, especially a veteran quarterback that's only going to last you another couple years uh, and, and take up the cap space that you even free up by getting rid of Ben Roethlisberger, all of that would seem crazy to me. The, the Steelers need to stay the course with Ben, but change how the offense works to make it so that he doesn't have to throw Okay. It. All right. Well, let's talk about that. Randy Fickner, we had a, a glimpse at him for, I mean, not that long a time, just a couple years, but. Uh, what do you see changing from Mac from Randy Fickner leaving to Mac Canada being promoted to offensive coordinator? What are we? What is the average fan going to be able to see in terms of a change in the Steelers' offense? Early on in the season, Albie, the Steelers were one of the top rushing teams in the NFL, which is crazy to think when you saw how that season ended. But they were averaging 138 yards per game. They were ranked eighth 
Yeah, well, they would have ranked eighth in the NFL if they had maintained that average throughout the entire season. And a part of what was helping with that was the early motions that were that, that, that were being added into the offense. And people remember for years, Ben Roethlisberger didn't like motion. Ben Roethlisberger preferred, you know, more traditional looks and things where he could just straight up identify and just go with the offense. Um, and, but the thing is, is that those were wrinkles added in by the ideas of Matt Canada. That, that's, those are ideas that you can bring in. But when you're a quarterback coach or you're a position coach, you're, feeding, you're all feeding the mind in the playbook that is written and constructed and called by the offensive coordinator. You're not actually the offensive coordinator. So when people are like, well, why did they stop doing it? It's because the, Ben Roethlisberger wasn't comfortable with them. Those weren't the plays that he had been using for the past 15 years. And now he went, and, and when the season got, got tougher, when the season got longer in, you know, he started going to the plays that he was comfortable with. And let's not forget, Randy Feekner was Ben's guy. This was promoting Ben Roethlisberger's favorite co- uh, favorite co- uh, quarterback coach to get the coordinator position. And, and Feekner deserves credit for dealing with some rough situations. In, in 2018, when he inherited the job, he thought he was going to have the killer bees. Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, and Ben Roethlisberger. 2018, Le'Veon Bell never shows. 2019, Antonio Brown goes crazy and is an exodus. And then Ben Roethlisberger's out for the season. So he went from having the killer bees to one B. In, the, in his last year and trying to make that work. And the Steelers were a number, were a, 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 a the 12th ranked offense, Albie, but still you look at well, how pass happy they got. Yeah, but there are other things that you have to look at. That offensive line and, and, and what are they going to do with that? They need to get somebody in there that's going to be able to bring out the potential in the guys. And I think it's a foregone conclusion that uh, Al Villanueva will be gone. Yeah. Uh, and what are you doing with running backs? Uh, you know, is, is James Conner going to be gone? It would appear. Um, you know, what's up with Benny Snell and the other running backs, Anthony McFarlane. Uh, so the line and the running game come into play as well with the new coordinator, even if you're, you're changing a lot of the stuff that you mentioned. Right, exactly. And that's the thing. They still have to make these investments. This is why I don't see the Steelers making a huge trade to get another quarterback unless Ben Roethlisberger says, hey, I'm just done. That's the only thing. And I don't think he right. I don't think he's going to yeah. do that, Albie. But this is why if you see the thing, if you tried to trade to get another quarterback, you'd be giving up the first round draft pick that you can spend on an offensive tackle like Alex Leatherwood from Alabama, or a guard like Deontay Brown, also from Alabama, or a running back like Najee Harris, also from Alabama, uh, or Travis Etienne from Clemson. But there's so many good pieces that you can add to this roster, and they'll get better even with Ben Roethlisberger in his last years at quarterback. That needs to be the focus, and that Canada has to help draw up that new offense for not just Ben Roethlisberger but for whoever inherits this offense after him. All right. Yeah, that, that Bama connection would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? Would it? Be, it would be crazy, yeah. wouldn't it? One way or another. All right. We're being told to rap. And when we're told to rap, we listen. Right? Right, Chris? <laughs> Absolutely. All the time. <laughs> Back after this with more of Halftime Adjustments. Welcome back to Halftime Adjustments. So we've gone from the Penguins and the news that Jim Rutherford has resigned uh, to the Steelers and how they might change with their new offensive coordinator, Matt Canada. Now we move on to pit basketball. And let's start by saying, Chris, that this is turning into a really odd season based on a lot of the challenges that other sports have dealt with. Um, COVID is canceling. You, you go If you go to the schedule for college basketball on any given night, you'll see a handful of games canceled and it's difficult to get any continuity in, in, in a season. And I know I, I've got to tell you before we talk about Pitt, I know a lot of fans of all college basketball teams 
that are feeling frustrated. They're feeling like they can't get into any rhythm as a fan uh, because games are being canceled. They don't know how it's going to play out, even if it's in the bubble in Indiana. So there are a lot of questions uh, surrounding college basketball. Now, Pitt uh, really was was making some headway, and they, they seem to be doing some good stuff. They beat Duke. I know Duke isn't very good this year, but still, psychologically, it was a big win for them. Then they followed that up by laying the egg, and they lost to Wake Forest. Uh, the three really hurt them in that game. And then, of course, they played North Carolina last night. And uh, North Carolina, uh, you know, they show that they're the better team. They end up winning by 10. Uh, your thoughts on where Pitt is right now um, and, and what we might see in the next uh, month to six weeks? I mean, Pitt's definitely taking steps forward. Justin Champagny is playing on another level. He is looking like the ACC player of the year, which no I, never, I never no thought doubt. I'd say about a Pitt player until maybe five or six years into Jeff Capel's tenure when he got his recruiting going. He's playing at another level. But what I've seen out of Pitt was in a lot of those games, and don't forget, on, on top of beating Duke, they swept Syracuse. And Syracuse's zone was the bane of Pitt's existence for such a long time. And you saw how, how they were able to figure it out. Xavier Johnson, Audis, Tony, uh, even uh, freshmen like Femi Udakali, they were coming in and just picking it apart and figuring things out and showing consistency. And that's where you were like, there's hope for this team. But then, like you said, they beat, they beat Duke. They got a little high on themselves. And I'll tell you, Albie, they were certainly uh, – the, 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 the Thursday before the, game, the loss to Wake Forest, we turned on a Zoom call with – Pitt's players, Xavier Johnson and Audis Tony, two veterans on this team, they were both not happy about how the practice was went that week because they saw they said that Pitt, some of their players were taking it too too easy. They had felt that they had they, they had arrived because they had beaten Duke, and they said it's not looking good if they don't step it up. And then certainly they they lost to Wake Forest and in North Carolina. That was the game. If you had beaten Wake Forest, that wouldn't have hurt as much because now you have three ACC losses and you're four and three instead of, you know, five and two, where you would have been in a much better spot. Pitt was starting to be considered as a tournament team by, the, by, by a lot of the people nationally. And when you lose to Wake Forest, that goes away. And then you can't overcome North Carolina, who they, they, their bigs, their front court is just nasty. And Pitt's biggest weakness is their front court. That was the matchup that I thought they would lose. The challenge for Pitt now is can they find the answers to overcome those ad adverse moments? Because Xavier Johnson and Audis Tony specifically, they're supposed to be the other parts of Pitt's big three. But in that game on Tuesday night against North Carolina, Pitt really just had a big one with Justin Champagny. Yeah, and you, you talk about Champagny, and you mentioned earlier that, that, that he's looking like he'll be ACC Player of the Year. Hey, this is a guy, he's only the second Pitt player to win the uh, Player of the Week in the conference uh, th three times in one season. Yep. He's putting up some huge numbers. And it's not scoring. I mean, you're talking about scoring and rebounding and steals and blocks. Yeah, blocks yep. This is a guy that's doing a lot of stuff. He's only a sophomore. And I mentioned to a friend the other day that uh, this is this is looking more and more like uh, Justin Champagne. He's going to be playing in uh, one level above um, or a couple levels above uh, next season. And that's something that they'll have to deal with when it comes. But that's the player. That they could that they could ride to something very special this spring. It's not out of the question when you have a player like Justin Champagny that you jump on him and you let him take you there. And and I think that this guy is clearly capable of carrying a team. And uh, that's the one thing that's impressed me the most about Pitt. I mean, you could talk about the win over Duke, and I don't get hung up on that because I really don't think Duke is that good this year. I think it's a good sign. That, 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 but you don't want to put too much emphasis on that game. 
If you're watching from the outside, and certainly if you're one of the pit players, it's a game. They won. Uh, but I think more impressive is the consistency that you talked about earlier in the fact that they're figuring out some of these things that have given them trouble in the past. You mentioned the Syracuse zone. Um, so, yeah, definitely steps forward for, for Capel and the crew. And, and I just have to believe that uh, anything's possible, assuming things are going to be semi-normal in, 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 uh, in college basketball when we, when we get to uh, tournament time. Agree. And that's the other thing. Jeff Capel brought up something else that could really poke, poke a hole in people's, uh, in people's plans is the idea of if you're one of the blue bloods and you're at the top of your conference, you're, you're definitely going to the tournament. You're definitely a one seat. What's the benefit of you playing a conference tournament this year? You put your team at risk to go to another environment to have to, to maybe get COVID. And then if they get COVID, that player may not be able to play in the big no. dance. So, no if, and so on top of, will that, how will that impact that? How will that make it easier for other teams to win their conference tournaments? You know, you know, because because then say you know say you know the top dogs in uh in in the ACC, Florida State, Clemson, other te- you know other teams like that, or Virginia, those teams did you know don't don't play because they know they're in. Then Pitt has to maybe they just have to beat Duke in North Carolina and Syracuse, and that's how they get in. Those are certainly questions that that ponder right now. But the big thing for Pitt, can they stop the losing? Can they get back to doing what they were doing well? feed their right players and capitalize in big moments. We'll find out Saturday when they take on Notre Dame. All right. Thank you, Chris. And back with our final moments here on halftime adjustments right after this. And welcome back for our final moments here on halftime adjustments. We can't forget baseball, Chris. No, we cannot. Uh, Anything uh, you'd like to say the pirates lost two biggies in the last week. Jamison Tyone and Joe Musgrove. I think it's the right move. Now, for everyone that's saying that, oh, this is this is the sign that they, they, they're they going to the next level, I, I wouldn't go that far. But Charrington, getting rid of those guys, this needs to be a complete teardown. The Pirates aren't the Steelers that they have all this, these young nucleus players and, and, and you know, a league where you, where you have a salary cap. They have to tear this down to in, in three to four to five years. Maybe they start building it back up. But they're getting prospects. I think that's the start of the move tearing off the band-aid that's what has to be done for, for the pirates moving forward and and hey we'll get to see in a few years what are the investments like are the prospects for real that's what's going to determine this this pirate this next era of, of pirates baseball but at least right now you're seeing what they have to do it's going to stink this year but hey you got to get to this point so that you can get to the point where you're competing with the big dogs that is beautiful we'll see if uh the, the pirates in major league baseball uh, we'll start talking about when they might be uh, starting up the season with spring training. That'll be coming soon. I'm Albie Oxenrider for Chris Carter. Thank you for joining us on WPXI Now. We'll see you next week for Halftime Adjustments.